Hi, everyone. Ooh, that was loud. Sorry. Um, welcome to today's session, Brands Shaking Up Alcohol's Carbon Footprint. Um, so before we dive in, I actually have a couple of questions for y'all. Um, so who here in the room has bought a carbon credit? All right. Some of you. Um, who here has drank an alcoholic beverage? All right. Yes. So, Thank you for your support. Yes. <laughs> Love that. Um, so today we're going to kind of explore like what you might consider from a sustainability perspective when drinking an alcoholic beverage. So I have a panel of folks here that are going to dig into their brand sustainability journey. Um, I've actually had the privilege of being the sustainability consultant for all three of these brands. So we are excited to dig in. Um, to start, I'm Nicole Sullivan. I'm our moderator. I'm an environmental engineer by trade, and I work for Carbon Better. We're a sustainability and decarbonization firm on the east side of Austin, Texas. Amy? Hi, I'm Amy Stedman. I'm the co-founder and COO for Beatbox Beverages, the world's tastiest party punch. You may have seen us on Shark Tank back in 2014. Uh, we make delicious party punch, and we try and do it in a way that's true to our values, which is with respect to the planet. So we'll go into more details. Thanks, Amy. Liz, over to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Are we good? The Monday of time change yeah, is tough. Yeah, the Monday time change is really rough. Um, I'm a head of whiskey development for Whistlepig Whiskey. So I, uh, we're a farm distillery located in rural Vermont. Has anyone been to Vermont? Okay, great. More people have been to Vermont than have bought carbon credits. So. I, I, I'm actually astonished. So... Um, we're uh, about an hour north of New York State border and two and a half hours south of Montreal. Uh, and we sit on about 500 acres and 300 of that is dedicated to our crops. And we're going to dig into that in a little bit, but, um, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one days, of the things I, I like to say is that, um, I've worked across the industry, um, but one of the things I love about uh, whiskey is that it's rooted in agriculture. For sure. Thanks, Liz. Yep. All right. With that, Tree. Hi, my name is Tree. Um, my friend and I were sitting around talking about life, and about seven years ago, we decided to open a whiskey distillery. So the past seven years has kind of been an adventure rooted in uh, a conversation that Sometimes I wish hadn't have happened. Um, but our, our journey is really about trying to make the best whiskey we can. Uh, we're not a sustainability brand. Uh, we're really trying to make the best whiskey possible right here in Austin, Texas. So we're about 10 minutes away uh, from here. Feel free to come. We're closed today, so not today. Um, but our products are going to start coming out, and we, we hope it's going to be something special. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so the first topic today that we're going to cover is sustainability reporting. So um, I don't know how many of y'all, when you pick out um, a liquor from the bar, are looking at the sustainability reports for these brands, um, but we are going to talk about them with each of these three brands. So to start with, um, Amy, y'all released your first ever sustainability report last year reflecting your 2021 um, environmental impacts. How has the response been and has it inspired any new goals for your team? Yeah, so we did our first sort of big benchmark. So unlike 
these two, we use co-packing at Beatbox. So other people help us make the product. And so it was a lot of gathering data, trying to work with our vendors to see, you know, cause we don't have a lot of our own emissions for making this product. We have to measure our partner's emissions for this. So it was a long process. We learned a lot, which was great. Um, and what the results of it were. So we published this report. We're using it in application for our B Corp application as well, which is great to have all of this data now that is required for that. But what the response was, was, you know, we have investors that we fundraise with. I mentioned Shark Tank earlier. Uh, we've raised money from other investors as well. And they were all really excited to see this report and have been reaching out to the other portfolio companies that they have to try and encourage them to do this kind of analysis as well. Um, we also are doing something uh, you heard about carbon credits earlier. We are doing a plastic neutral certification. That means the weight of plastic that we put into the world every quarter, we're mo removing from nature in places like India that don't have as good of recycling as we do here in the U.S. And so uh, we were already had this practice of doing what we call plastic offsets, but this sustainability report also kind of convinced our leadership team to take on doing carbon neutral as well. We try to be low carbon with our processes, but we we didn't actually know how much carbon we were using until we did this report to know how much to buy in terms of offsets. So that's a new project for us. We also allocated one person on my operations team to really own sustainability for the whole company and then have implemented an environmental management system with the other departments as well. So it's not just the manufacturing that's getting measured. It's also all the doodads that marketing buys and all the apparel we make and all the music festivals and conferences my teams fly to measuring all of that throughout the company. So that's been new for us as well. Another big project that we're taking on this year for the first time is previously we manufactured all of our beatbox products in one place. And in an effort to reduce our carbon, we are taking on regional manufacturing now as well. So we are figuring that out this year. So that's a new thing for us too. Thank you so much for helping us figure that out. Of course. And one thing I'd like to highlight too, you'll see up on the screen, water intensity. So a lot of alcoholic beverage brands, it takes 12 times as um, the by volume the amount of water to produce as ultimately um, volume of alcohol. So looking at water is really important as well, especially in alcoholic beverages. Yeah. Can I just add? So part of that is the, the alcohol that's in Beatbox is made from a waste product from the orange juice industry. So all of the peels and other material that come from the orange juice industry uh, is actually fermented and turned into an alcohol. And that's the base alcohol that we use. So all of our alcohol, you know, mostly coming from that and other water, uh, not water, what's it called? Intensive. Intensive um, areas uh, helps us keep that down. So that's what that is. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Tree, next one's for you. So um, your project or your product is still yet to be released for the most part, but you have actually done your first annual sustainability report or actually less than annual um, from startup. So what drove you to actually complete a sustainability report prior to prior to your first full year of operations? Yeah, I think we were in a really special position that many companies that we compete against can't really do. Is an opportunity to really think about who we are from day one. Uh, we didn't have to retrofit sustainability into our brand, into our processes, but really thought about it from, from day one. And it's really been pretty impactful in terms of our approach and how things happen. Um, so our employees that we hire, they're not always thinking about sustainability first. Uh, but they know, like, as us, as management, like, that's what we're really trying to drive. 
Um, so we, we have like ad hoc discussions with them all the time. Like, Hey, I really know you're into sustainability and I have this problem that I think I can solve in this way. And I think that's really like a really fortunate thing that's really allowed us to like push things forward. Yeah, definitely. And can you um, expand on how you are um, doing more in your next report um, with respect to scope three emissions? For sure. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're a startup distillery, so we take everything a step at a time. Um, so we started off with scope one and two, and we're really excited that our next report is going to include scope three. What is scope three? Uh, scope three yeah. is, is complex, right? Because it involves the supply chain and everything, all the partners that you work mm -hmm. with and working with them to really understand what the footprint is. So that's where all my emissions were was in scope three. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's harder to quantify. Harder to quantify, also harder to reduce because you, you don't own those emission sources. So it can right. be harder to, to influence that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Tree. Um, so Liz, this one's for you. So, um, y'all spent a lot of effort last year to actually really strategically define your sustainability roadmap. Yep. Um, and now you are in motion on your first impacts assessment. So we're deep in the data gathering phase and have started doing math. Um, how is that going? And also like, what are you excited to find out in this process? Sure. So, um, as a scientist, I love data. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. Um, so, right, I mentioned we're a farm distillery, uh, and it the all farm? starts, yes, it all, oh, hello. <laughs> um, it all starts there, really. Um, it's, uh, it's a continuum, so we like to think it's seed to sip, mm -hmm. uh, and we cannot consider sustainability without going back to the farm, right? So agronomics is really important to us, mm -hmm. and I think that's where we really started our journey together, yeah. is understanding. So we picked specific varietals. Uh, we're predominantly a, a rye um, company, so most of what we grow is rye. Most of that 300 acres is rye, uh, a specific varietal called Denko. Anyone ever heard of Denko? Oh, okay. This is a good crowd. Whiskey nerds in the house. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so there are a lot of varietals um, that we considered, but really that made the best sense from an agronomic standpoint. And yield on the field is really important. How it grows is really important. And so when we're thinking about sustainability, it's, okay, we're not just going to put any varietal down, Right we need to consider our environment and we need to be stewards of the land. And so it all starts with Danko. Uh, we do grow other varietals as well. Um, it, it, we do grow a warthog wheat and a violetta, which is a, a winter um, barley, which also is selected because of the agronomics. Uh, it's, um, it doesn't grow well in other parts of the country, but it grows really well in, um, New England. So all of it is carefully crafted from seed. And so that's how we start our sustainability journey. And again, stewards of the land yep. and considering, um, our resources at the farm 
but then also considering how that's going to play out to the whiskeys that we make. So we create, um, we, we carefully, uh, did trials to decide what varietals we are going to plant, um, that we're going to do both from the farm angle, mm-hmm. but also what was going to create, um, a yield at the distillery level. Yeah. And so, something to add on to there that's important for all of these brands, right? Like sustainability is is a key pillar for all of them, but ultimately taste is paramount, like quality of is course, paramount. Yes. Um making a tasty product that y'all love beyond just like being water and carbon efficient. So that's something to consider like yeah, yeah, it's all encompassing, but um sure. we really try to incorporate all those things. But of course, uh quality and flavor is uh, a key consideration. Um but we like to consider uh sustainability and being efficient uh, as fast as possible. Definitely. Thanks, Liz. Um so next we're actually going to dig into sustainability in the supply chain. Um, so Amy, as you already mentioned, um, this is, uh, the supply chain of Beatbox is complex, um, and you actually use co-packers and co-manufacturers, so you don't actually own the manufacturing facilities for your equipment and your product. Um, have you seen opportunities to collaborate with suppliers in working towards your sustainability goals? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, through this process, you know, I think for any company going through the process with your suppliers and asking them the questions of, you know, what, what carbon do you use? What waste, you know, how is waste handled? Like all of these different questions that we went through and asked these folks opened up an ongoing conversation. So all of our suppliers now, it doesn't matter if it's for marketing or for manufacturing the product, we have this standard checklist of environmental and social questions that we're asking them. And so everybody knows to expect these questions every year. And so things like talking about energy and waste have come up with our manufacturer. We talked about how to invest together in equipment for them to be more energy efficient. Their waste treatment, they have a sludge facility where we... uh, where we produce beatbox, where any wastewater is treated and then put back into agriculture as well. Uh, we also work with like companies like Tetra Pak. Actually, in the green room today, right before this panel, I was on the phone with them trying to talk to them about being more efficient with shipping things around the world because it's a global company. We're trying to be a global company, and I wanted it to be as efficient as possible. So talking to them about things like that. We also started a, a group with Tetra Pak that I'm going to talk about a little bit later to try and take on recycling um, in the U.S. because that's the one thing. It's super carbon efficient, but it's a little bit harder to recycle than some other materials. So that's something that we're in open dialogue with them about all the time. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is just uh, working with not not just our suppliers, but also other companies. So, you know, here at South by, we're all meeting folks at, at other companies and things like that. And, and doing panels like this is also really important to me because the conversation should be happening not just at Beatbox, but with everybody. And to uh, Tree's point, you know, we don't really go big on the environmental friendliness of Beatbox in our marketing. It's just an, an expectation that every company in the world should have this as a standard. So I'm not putting uh, our our branding around all of this we have like a complete lifestyle brand that's about music and fun and completely separate from being you know like attacking the climate crisis which is not the most fun thing to talk about right but um having the conversations not with our just just our suppliers but with fellow entrepreneurs fellow business leaders as much as we can awesome can we are are we like collaborating can i 
chime in? You can chime in on this one. Sure. Um, I just want to say your packaging, though, we're talking about supply chain. And um, this is something so from a I'm thinking about Johnny Walker, but the compactness of your packaging that fits in well, um, I think that helps also. Yeah, it's lightweight. Cartons are extremely lightweight and, you know, they're like rectangles, right? So they ship really well. They, so it, it's less energy to ship yep. it all around the country. We we will weigh out before we lose space on a truck, for example, yep. as opposed to like something that's heavier, like a, like a glass. I don't want to say a glass bottle, but uh, like... It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> so, so we are like the most efficient on shipping and things like that. But like I said, it's a little bit harder to recycle because there's multiple materials in the carton. And so that's why we're, we're working on that as well. I just wanted a high five. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and something to point out, there's, there's really trade-offs with everything from a sustainability perspective, right? So like um, what Amy just spoke to, what's what's the most lightweight and is the most carbon efficient might have other trade-offs from a recyclability or end-of-life perspective. Um, so each of these brands has had a lot of like consideration with respect to trade-offs and priorities and like what's the best option today might not be the best option a year from now. So like yeah. everyone's pushing for yeah, change, which for, is huge. For me, the climate crisis is the most time sensitive. And mm-hmm. so that's why we prioritize it over the waste crisis, for example. So that's how, that's the logic that we use. For sure. Thank you. And that actually segues nicely into my next question for Tree. Um, so y'all source the majority of your grains in Texas um, for your Texas-based distillery. But how how do you assess the trade-offs of water and carbon as you select your ingredients, given that, that Texas is fairly drought-ridden? Yeah, so that's the question that, you know, and truthfully, I can't even really answer, right? So that that is the ultimate trade-off, right? Yeah. So we talk about carbon. Um, obviously we're a local distillery, so the local economy, regional production is key to, to what we care about and what we do and what we support. But the real reality is, is our grains come from drought ridden areas. So what do we do? Um, so that's something that we're constantly working on. We're looking at produ- production outside of Texas, right? But so there's more, uh, carbon to, to bring it in to Austin. But the real reality is there's drought all over the United States now. So what do we even really do? So, some of these problems are so complex, and it's something that we really t- grapple with, and it's truly one something that we haven't solved yet. Yeah, no, I, I get it. These are these are tough problems, right? And if they were solvable really easily with a magic bullet, they'd be solved. So, um, it's exciting to see the the efforts y'all are all making. Um, Liz, this next one's for you. So, what do you consider when choosing suppliers while working to make more sustainable uh, sustainable choices on behalf of Whistlepeg? So I I think um, if I'm putting my technical hat on, I always start with quality. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we do really consider um, sustainability, and I think glass weight is a huge one. Yep. And but also it's skew dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we're considering uh, closures. So everyone is uh, familiar with the different types of closures for whiskey, like corks. Or not <laughs> corks? Yeah. Can can I can I? Yeah, please. I speak, have a floor. Speak to closures. Um, so there's different types of closures. Um, so there's natural, there's a a composite, mm-hmm. and there's synthetic. 
Um, and then there's ROPP, which is basically a screw. Um, and this is something we've dug into recently to understand what is the most um, sustainable option, mm-hmm. but also a quality option. So uh, this is actually a, a pretty big debate in the community uh, of, I don't know, Trey, if you've... We chose synthetic, so I'm excited to see okay. what you chose. <laughs> so synth- synthetic is great. I, I want to fist talk. You're too far away. Yeah. Okay. It's complicated, right? It's I'm complicated. To You're too far. And again, trade-offs. Yeah, it's all about trade-offs. And so I, I think because we're a premium brand and um, obviously natural is um, the premier choice. Uh, however, it, it's not necessarily the best from a sustainability standpoint. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so I can help you out. So there's definitely a cork shortage that yep. is debatable how big of a shortage it is, but that's a really popular thing that people write about. Um, we're going to run out of cork at some time in the future. And then there's also the problem with um, that your whiskey will get corked, um, which is is a pretty tough thing to, to handle yeah. uh, in terms of managing your customer's experience. Thank you for that. Yeah, for the assess. So I think composite is a good choice from a, a quality and also a sustainability perspective. Um, just because y- you are able to utilize your resources more effectively and you're able to give, deliver that consumer experience. Um, and then we have to think about, okay, now we consumed our delicious whiskey, right? So what do we do then? How do we, are you going to tell us where your corks are going at end of life? Uh, yeah. Like what do we do then? Right. It's, so it's at least your glass bottles are recyclable. Our, our glass bottles are recyclable, but what do we do after, um, with the cork, the closure, right? <laughs> are you asking me? I don't know. I, this I'm, is I'm a dialogue, to, right? <laughs> I'm happy to take it on, but so, um, recycling in America is super challenged, of course. Um, so now we're talking about a material. Anything multi-material is a huge issue, right? So we're not we're not really as a Texas distillery ready to take on the recycling problem, right? So what would have to happen is people would have to separate the cork from the bottle. They would have to it would probably have to go into multi-stream recycling. Um, so we're really trying to focus on the things that we can really affect today, uh, with an eye on the future, of course. But that's that's yeah. kind of how how we see it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so we're talking to, yeah, to cork. Um, so you'd have to separate it. And so I think that's a challenge going forward. For sure. Yeah. And something we need to tackle. And something y'all are working to solve. And we're for, working to solve. Pig, so, yes. Um, um, but I think composite is a good opportunity uh, going forward. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Liz. Um, so next we're actually going to segue over to sustainability and operations across these three brands. Let's um, go. The coolest yeah. topic ever. Right. Ups. <laughs> um, so Amy, this first one's for you. Y'all actually implemented an environmental management system or an EMS. Um, into your organization. Your team has been growing rapidly. Y'all, y'all are now over 100 people. Um, so how did you integrate an, an environmental management system into your large team, and how has adoption been? 
All right. So this is not something that's easy because I can own my own area as head of operations, right? But going into marketing and sales and getting them to really embrace this stuff is a little bit challenging. But when there's another process in my company that is also completely cross-functional, which is innovation. If we're coming out with a new flavor, if we're changing our packaging, we kind of have the same system, which is that we have a, a multi- a team committee that's involved in getting this done. And so every two weeks I have an innovation meeting, the certain people show up, they're supposed to represent their departments. And so we kind of emulated that process when we were taking on this environmental management system. So naturally all the department heads have ownership of certain things. Um, we also have someone on my team that's kind of like the project manager for all of this, that's following up with all these departments to do things like collect data, we have uh, all kinds of different processes outlined throughout the year and how often they need to happen. So marketing needs to send us their miles, you know, monthly or quarterly or whatever it is. And then that project manager is following up all the time. So I will say, you know, trying to get anything done over a large team is not easy. I don't think we're 100% perfect at it. I'm trying to improve it every year. We just started doing this last year. And so um, always looking for advice on that if anyone has any pro tips, but that's how we've been able to get it done for this past, you know, the, for 2021 and for 2022. So, um, just kind of following the same processes or the innovation team. Awesome. Thank you. Um, sustainability really is a multi-stakeholder challenge, right? It, it touches every facet of your operations. You need data from everyone. Um, so having a tool to track it and work towards your KPIs can, can be really helpful. One of the things that is helpful is we have a lot of things in software. So if I want to know, uh, you know, all the retail points that my product's been to and all the warehouses that it's been to, I can just go pull that. I don't need to ask anybody. So that's been helpful as well. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Um, so Tree, the next one's for you. Your product is still currently aging in your Rick house, which is super wind efficient. If y'all get a chance to visit. Um, but how have you, how have you incorporated sustainability in your operations prior to distribution? Sure. Yeah. So I can talk about the Rick house. And our advantage of being able to think about sustainability from day one. Um, so climate change really affects whiskey making. And when I talk to people in the industry, they, they're not so quick to believe me. But then we talk about, like, how it's hotter and hotter every year. And, you know, Texas is very hot in the summers. So when we were building our rick house, we wanted to site it on the property where it would be the most efficient. So we did a wind study. Um we obviously can't really climate control the rickhouse in order to prevent evaporation, evaporation, which is a huge whiskey issue. Um, so we wanted to be able to take on the environment the best we could. So that's really one way we kind of use sustainability to our advantage and hopefully make more money because we really considered it. Um, and then I think efficiency is really the main th name of the game for us in terms of our carbon footprint. So when we're choosing equipment, we're always going to tend to choose the longer lasting, more efficient systems, right? Typically more expensive, uh, but they also produce better whiskey. So it kind of all goes hand in hand in, in creating a better product. Awesome. Hey, Thank Tree. Quick build. Does ever, do we know what Angel's share is? Okay, because we talked about evaporative loss and I think that you touched on it and I think that's that speaks to efficiency. For sure. And um, maybe do you, do you want to like explain it? For, I had there was a few hands, but for sure. Um, so Angel Share 
is essentially evaporation in the barrels, right? So we're, we're making our product. It sits in that barrel without climate control for, for years. Um, so, and then the hotter it is, the less product we have in general. Um, so we're always thinking about how to best manage that. So that's the angel's share of the whiskey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we love angels. They're great, but sometimes. Mm. Sometimes Partying they're greedy. way too much these days. <laughs> they're greedy. Which goes back to that water intensity, right? Like the product is literally shrinking down. Um, cool. Thanks, Tree. Um, so Liz, um, your, your distillery is unique in that you're the only farm operations mm-hmm. on this panel. Um, how are y'all working to incorporate regenerative agriculture practices into your farm operations? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned, um, I touched a little bit about uh, some of our crops um, and the fact that we did a lot of research on what specific varietals Mm -hmm. that would grow best, um, and and that speaks to regeneration because um, we weren't going to grow crops just to grow you know, crops because they were popular, whatever. It was about how the agronomics sit and what was going to be best. Uh, and so I think that's really speaks to kind of what we're doing there. Um, so rotation is hard for us though. Okay. How many acres do y'all have? Right. So it, we're 500 acres and 300 of it is dedicated to our crops and because we are in a colder climate, mm-hmm. uh, our rye takes a long time to grow. Yep. Um, so that's really hard for us. So crop rotation is a little bit tricky for us. Um, so again, we do grow corn uh, and winter wheat and uh, our rye, of course, which is a winter crop. Um, but so one of the things I wanted to touch on is about our oak um, so we're one of actually my favorite of the core lineup is our 15 year. Okay. Is anyone familiar with our 15? Thank you. Pretty popular. Thank you. Uh, so that's actually my uh, favorite of the lineup. And also we do live, uh, we have a maple forest as well. Cause we're Vermont, right? That's just requisite. Um, and, uh, at any rate, so 15 year is one of my favorites because it's a true taste of place and we actually grow our own trees for the barrels for the barrels. Okay. Yeah. So our estate Oak, um, so 15 year is a 15 year, uh, hundred percent rye and it's barrel aged in our estate Oak which is grown in the Champlain Valley. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so, and the way we're kind of giving back is that we're regenerating and growing our own. Cause if you take it out, you need to replace. Perfect. Thank you so much, Liz. Um, also here's, here's a picture from, Oh, the- that's our distillery. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's not snowing. Exactly. Well, and it's not saying. <laughs> um, I have some, some general questions for our panelists. So, um, Amy, this one's for you and I know you're excited to highlight this one. So, um, we all have been navigating packaging waste challenges, right? We've already touched on some of those trade-offs, but how are you working with your vendor to actually improve the recyclability of your packaging? 
All right. So I'm a pretty social person. I started a party com- party punch company centered around music festivals, right? So I'm very into large crowds. So one of the things that I got involved with early on is a, is a trade organization or network called Naturally Network. And it's a bunch of consumer goods companies started at, in Boulder, Naturally Boulder, that are trying to make the natural products industry more sustainable and inclusive. And so this is a national nonprofit that has chapters in nine different cities, Austin and included because we started one here. Um, and what it is, is it's a platform to meet other brands. And so I noticed there was some other carton brands that were part of this group. And so what we did is created something called the carton champions, which works with the carton council. If you've ever looked at any kind of like posters that say how to recycle cartons or anything like that, they probably came from the carton council, which is a group of all the manufacturers of cartons that have come together to unite and try and improve carton recycling in the U S. However, there wasn't a group for the brands to get involved and, you know, manufacturing companies are awesome, but they have their way of doing things. And y'all are here at South by Southwest because hopefully you're a fan of how startups and entrepreneurial companies do things. And so I was excited to work with these other carton companies to try and see where we could take action where we could. So the things that we're doing are uh, doing life cycle assessment studies together. So having really good data about, you know, what are the impacts of using a carton over a plastic bottle or a glass bottle, whatever it else is. And then the second thing that we've done is unite on communications and marketing. And so how to recycle a carton, how do you do it? You leave the cap on, you take it off, all that kind of stuff. And so if all of the brands that are part of this, like myself, Boxed Water, Dr. Bronner's, all these different companies that have joined are using the same language that's going to help inform the consumer better and also the tier of recyclers that you know we're all one united kind of industry going for this Uh, we're also actually doing advocacy so uh, a lot of how things get recycled is is determined by local government so they decide what's what's considered recyclable what they're going to collect and things like that and so having more companies involved that have employees and customers and warehouses and things like that in all these local communities helps when you're going to these elected officials and saying, hey, we really want to advocate for you to consider cartons to be recyclable, collect them. And then we're also making investments on the recycler side. So, you know, buying the machines that they need to actually separate these multi-layered products and recycle them and also working with them on the end products. So what do recyclers want when they recycle this stuff is somebody to buy that recycled material, right? So you can turn Tetra Packs into paperboard, into building materials, things like that. So we're talking with the other beverage companies. Like one of the things my marketing team produces the most of are display racks in stores, right? You go in a grocery store store, you see a display rack of beverages with are all branded and things like that. So we're working with uh, the other carton companies to try and figure out how to make all of our display racks out of recycled Tetra, for example. So really going through the full life cycle of working with the elected officials, the recyclers, consumers, and uh, providing, you know, like an end customer basically for the recyclers to try and improve carton recycling in the U.S. because I have climate change anxiety, and so I picked this material because of the carbon crisis, but it doesn't feel good to own a company that produces trash either, right? So um, for me to, like, you know, look at the next generation and say I did everything I possibly could, that this is how we're attacking that. So um, Naturally Network is a really cool uh, network. There's a lot of things going on in Naturally Network beyond just this group, but if anyone's aligned with cartons, come join Carton Champions, and if anyone's aligned with just consumer products in general, check out Naturally Network because there's all kinds of awesome things happening in that group.
Awesome. Thank you so much. That like spirit of collaboration amongst competition is so awesome to see and so important, right? Like this is a big challenge to tackle. Like every consumer packaged goods company has some amount of waste. So the fact that y'all are working together to try to solve that is huge. And then we do the plastic offset thing that I mentioned earlier as well. Exactly. So if there's any more cool ideas, we're here for it. <laughs> awesome. I love love to see the solution orientedness. Can I just I'm gonna yes, build. Liz, please. Sorry. <laughs> I'm building again. Um, I guess it. a question back because I'm just thinking about um, Vermont. Sure. And our recycle recyclable opportunities there. Um, do you see? So this is a question for you. Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ready for it. Do you see? Um, so it's state by state right now. It's actually Murph by Murph even. Mm-hmm. As what uh, material recovery yeah. facility? Each but, one is different. Each one has different uh, machinery. Yes. It's it's just different. But do you see us going to uh, a holistic uh, recyclable opportunity from uh, um, the states, the U.S. of A? Um, I would say we're starting to see more producer responsibility initiatives. So there's some laws coming out in uh, California, Colorado. Um, so I do think there are initiatives in certain states. I also know the EPA is definitely um, tracking tracking waste, looking at how much waste we send, to. send out of our country, right? I think that's something we're not always all aware of, of just like, where does our plastic go? Where does our trash go, right? Like when you put something in a recycling bin, you, you're hoping that it ends up at a recycling facility, but like, is it actually going to a landfill? Did it, you know, is there the recovery facility in place that can handle that and do something with it versus incinerating with it? So um, it's a, it's a challenge and it's definitely regional and geographic and different areas are handling it differently, but it's, um, Amy really hit the nail on the head, right? Demand for that post-consumer or post-recycled, um, material, like the demand has to be there for it to be reused. Um, but we're, we're starting to see an increase in demand for like post-consumer recycled materials. Yeah, so, or some really big companies have started adopting that material as their primary, like, like exactly. the beverage companies, soda yeah. companies, things like that, making it out of post-recycled bottles. So that's the greatest thing to see is to keep pushing for that. Um, innovation companies can influence bigger companies by doing these things and kind of changing consumer expectations. So Yeah, and that's something true of like any sustainability initiative, right? Like when you put a report out there, it, it drives your competitors to be better because they now see what you're doing and what they can benchmark against. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so tree, most of your product is yet to be released, but you did do a limited release this past fall. That was actually a carbon negative bourbon. Um, so how did you go about bringing that to market? Um, and what was the driver behind making it carbon negative? Sure. Um, so what brought it to market was really that we worked with carbon better, um, to quantify our emissions scope one, two, and three. And that really enabled us to kind of take the next step. Um, so what brought us to do it? Um, I think we really just wanted to show that it could be done. Um, and it wasn't such a big lift and it was possible and that we could really start to take concrete action. So we're a little Texas distillery, right? But I think it makes sense that the first carbon negative bourbon came from Texas. Um, I don't know how many Texans are in the room, but we kind of just do things the way that makes sense to us, right? Um, so I, we have this opportunity to lead this really large industry at scale. 
Um, I'm excited that we were the first uh, carbon negative bourbon, but like it would be a shame if we we're the last, right? Um, so we we're really setting the standard from Austin, Texas, showing the industry how it can be done. Awesome. And can we talk about that sexy pack right there also? The the five o'clock shadow is highlighted <laughs> right right behind tree Love there. The bright colors. Yeah, yeah. Clap, 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 clap. Local, local artists, <laughs> local artists. Um, so, I mean, we're a local economy through and through. So, unfortunately, y'all missed your opportunity to snag one of the 257 bottles, but um, the, the math is behind you. All Sustainability right. has to look good, too. Exactly. Yeah, sustainable and look fabulous. Right? That's true. Check, stuff. check. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, the next one, Liz, is for you. So I've actually had the opportunity to, to visit your farm and, and see your solar array. Um, but can you speak to your goals around solar energy for Whistlepig and the significant amount of progress y'all made last year towards that? Yeah. So, hi. Speaking of sexiness... <laughs> Check out our solar array. Can can I get a clap for our solar array? <laughs> Thank right. you. Cheers for solar. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've made some significant progress. We've laid down, um, like I said, we're in rural Vermont, and we're off the grid, and we've put in a significant amount of energy, no pun intended, um, to make sure that uh, we're being sustainable. So we're actually... A hundred percent solar powered Amazing. at the at the farm. Hell Can I yeah. get a clap again? <laughs> Thanks. So that's um, kind of uh, what we're about, and it's it's been a tremendous amount of energy. Oh puns! Oh, oh, oh my god! Energy puns all around. Uh, uh, um, especially when um, Vermont is not very. There's yeah. not a lot of sun. <laughs> For sure. Um, but that's that's what we're about. And so we're committed to that. And um, we're really excited about it. So that's kind of uh, yeah. awesome. about our solar energy um, ambitions. Yeah, thanks. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right. I have a few final thoughts, questions. Um, but before, before I dig into those, I want to talk just for just a second about why this matters um, and kind of tee up some of, some of their passion as well. So... Um, this is some data, recent data from Nielsen IQ, and one in three people globally have personally been impacted by extreme weather events. And these countries highlighted here have even higher percentages of folks that have been personally impacted by climate change. Um, so we're seeing it more in the news with severe weather events. Um, if you're based here in Austin, Texas, you've seen multiple ice storms in the last couple of years that have taken power out. Um, so if you, if you haven't been personally impacted yet, you will. And so actual practical action is, is hugely important. Driving change. This is an all hands on deck problem. Um, and so it's really cool to see brands that are being really pragmatic and taking steps and doing what they can and, and hopefully pushing other brands to do what they can as well. Um, because like we, we as individual consumers can make choices and take actions, but we also need the brands that we're purchasing. Um, to take action as well. Um, so with that, Amy, I'd love to know, like, what is driving you to integrate sustainability into your business? Because I know it's not marketing. It's not what y'all put out there. But what, what is your what is your why? 
Yeah, so Beatbox was founded at music festivals and under the ethos of plur, which is peace, love, unity, and respect. So if you're a raver, you probably know what plur is. If you're not, look it up. Um, but yeah. Um, so to me, responsible business is love in action, right? You can't be a company that says you actually care about people and want to, you know, delight and, and make them happy if you're not actually taking care of your shit as a business owner. And so as an entrepreneur, I don't care if it's going to help sell more products or not. It's just being authentic to being that next generation company that's serving the next generation of consumers. You know, I think, a lot of my industry is pretty old school and, and trying to do things the way they've been done for a long time. And so uh, the whole reason we started this company was to make something that serves the next generation. I started this company when I was 23 years old. And so I wanted something that appealed to me. And so I'm not 23 anymore, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but can we just clap real quick? Like, can we just acknowledge Thanks, that? Thanks, lady. Thank you. Like, this woman um, has accomplished a lot in the last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you know, for us, it's not a marketing point it's just being true to our values and we wouldn't be who we are without that it's you know on social media we're more focused on making people laugh and, and showing people cool music and that kind of thing but um, being a responsible business is very important that and I love people and if you love people you have to do this you know I'm a person before I'm a business you know profit machine and so um, that's what's important but you know a lot of times doing things that are more sustainable do make the business more efficient and save money as well it's not necessarily a counterpoint so I think it's just it's just going to be what the next generation demands of us and what next generation business leaders will be expected to do so why not just get used to it and figure out how to do it now awesome thank you so much um, so we've talked a lot about trade-offs today in this panel and sustainable choices. Tree, what do you see as the biggest uh, sustainability challenge in your business? The biggest, Specifically Fierce Whiskers. The biggest? Um, I really think it's probably what everyone else is, else is also facing, right, is we work in really old industries. Um, bourbon is a very traditional thing, and it it doesn't really make sense in terms of saving the world for one Texas distillery to be doing this stuff. So what do we, what can we really do to drive change within the industry and truly lead? Um, that's the stuff that I, I try to worry about, just showing people that it can be done, that like whatever you do doesn't have to save the world as long as it has a chance to inspire someone else to change the world. Um, so that's kind of our big problem. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Tree. All right. And Liz, can you can you round us out with this last one? So what are you most proud of or excited about with respect to Whistlepig's sustainability journey to date? Um, so, yeah, our journey, uh, obviously, I, I spoke a lot um, about being a farm distillery and us being solar powered. But I think we've got some room we're, we're working we're collaboratively working on it. together, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I'm most excited about is, uh, again, being stewards of the land. So how can we be most efficient now that we've dialed in our agronomics? Mm -hmm. I feel like um, there could be a touch there as well uh, at the farm level. But how can we use those resources most efficiently to create the best whiskey on and for the planet. Okay. And that is about efficiency at the distillery. So that's something that I'm most excited about. Sorry, Trey, I didn't, 
we we can work together. Oh, it's fine. You're good. Um, uh, while also considering flavor as well, because we don't want to lose sight of that, because flavor is key. Yep. Yeah. Sure. So, and then also moving forward is how do we um, talk to our suppliers uh, around um, our, our glass, our closures, uh, and also our supply chain. So, but for me, I'm most excited um, because I'm a, a technical person. Yeah, I'm sure. like, how do I, how do I use my grain most efficiently? That's what I'm most excited about. Yeah. And, and to that point, right, like there's a common saying in the space, what, what gets measured gets managed. So the fact that y'all are in progress on yep. your environmental baseline, yep. um, you'll, you'll have a much better understanding of what you can do to work towards your KPIs once you have those numbers to work. Yes. From. Yes, of course. So data is king and starting there and we're on our journey. I know for sure. And, um, I love data. Yep. So it's, there we go. You can't avoid data in this space for sure. Well, thanks so much, Liz. Um, so with that, we've talked a lot about climate action. So I do want to just give a quick shout out. Uh, Carbon Better is hosting an Earth Day free day of climate action for businesses. So um, if you have a business and you're looking to take action, we're quantifying people's impacts for a single day and offsetting it um, just to show that like taking action is is accessible like you can get started somewhere and if you're not already on a journey we'd like to help you start um so with that i am gonna open the floor up to questions there's a microphone in the center there so if y'all could line up and ask ask your questions into that that would be great um and if you want to connect with our lovely panelists after the session uh, their linkedin profiles are on this slide all right you guys talked uh, a lot about packaging um, choices and, you know... Uh, and can you speak into the mic, sure, if you don't you guys, mind? You guys chose uh, talked a lot about uh, distribution, packaging materials. It would seem like the water in your products is probably one of the biggest contributors to, to uh, you know, the, gar the footprint because of the weight and transporting it. I know some very large beverage and brewing companies are looking at how they can actually ship a concentrate or a distillate that is rehydrated at the end. I know there's some challenges with reproducing those volatiles, water quality, and so on. Is this something that you guys are looking at? What do you think is the future of this? Are we going to see it in the next five or so years? Um, we have a pretty simple take on that. So I guess uh, we would love to, to do more, uh, but we are highly regulated as an industry. Like I have to put exactly the proof into that bottle that is on the label and it has that has to be guaranteed through and through. So kind of like our packaging philosophy is no extra packaging. Um, so we were not putting it in boxes. We're not doing – there's no plastic sleeve that it goes into. So we're trying to really limit our packaging. Uh, but due to kind of the regulations, like we have to show up with that product in that bottle exactly. Um, so that's kind of our approach. Okay. Can I – Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'll chime in. Um, so one of our pillars at Whistle Pig is that we are high proof. Um, so 43% is kind of our lowest proof. So, um, our tenure, which is our flagship is a hundred proof. So that's 50% ABV. Um, so by that standards, uh, we're it's using, concentrated. <laughs> it's concentrated. So um, yeah, uh, that's again forty three is the lowest we'll go. Um, so yeah, we use less water. 
this is literally my favorite reason to have high proof alcohol. <laughs> it, it is more sustainable, everybody. Right? Like dilute it should you choose to, but uh, you can you can do that if you want to, but we'll ship it at concentrated. I'm ma- taking this. Yeah, taking it, this. it might be interesting to see that application like in bars and restaurants and things like that. Unfortunately, my product is like 99% sold not in bars and restaurants. It's convenience stores, grocery stores, that kind of thing. So asking them to rehydrate it, it wouldn't make sense for mine. But I do think it's really interesting and a great point. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. G'day. Um, sorry, my voice is going after last night. Uh, my name is Matt <laughs> from Sydney, Australia. I'm interested to know what you guys are thinking about process heat and the replacement of gas in process heat. I'm assuming it's gas. The reason I ask, I work for a, a firm in Australia that has accidentally invented a catalyst that turns hydrogen into about 700 degrees Celsius in three minutes without greenhouse gases. We think above the 100-degree level, we're probably unique. Um, and by the way, we can use it for water treatment as well. But I'm just... We, we, you haven't covered it. I'm, I'm wondering what you're thinking about getting rid of gas or if you use other forms of fuel for heating. You guys can start. I'll, I'll take a crack out of it. You guys can go ahead. Uh, 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 we're both like... I, uh, think, I think Tree, go for it. Tree, go, go for, for it. it. Um, so hydrogen is super cool. Um, the, even hydrogen itself is super complex, right? Because they always associate a different color with it, and we're not really sure what that means, right? But the reality is, is that the infrastructure that we have today is very gas um, related. Um, I really believe that one day in the future, the, that exact same infrastructure will be retrofitted into hydrogen, um, and we'll have hydrogen at scale. Um, but as for today. Um, it would be really tough for us to have like a mini hydrogen plant at, at the distillery. And honestly, the city of Austin would freak out. Um, I can't express how much like everything we do has to go through the fire department. And, you know, we'd have to explain to the, to the fire marshal why we had a hydrogen plant on this facility. <laughs> but that's, that's really why, um, we're, we're so, waiting for the day and we'll, we'll hype it up whenever the technology is ready. And I do think it will come, um, through our existing natural gas infrastructure. Um, but, that's the best I can do for that question. Yeah. Go ahead. I, so I'm just going to chime in. Um, uh, so something we're considering, and it's just, it's a small dent, but um, again, nerding. Um, do, does everyone know what a GC is? Gas chromatogram. Okay. So we're considering. Just tell everybody. I'll tell everybody. Share. Uh, we're considering actually a hydrogen generator to support our lab. Um, currently right now we're in the process of purchasing that um, which is a dent like that's not supporting our farm that's not supporting our distillery but it's a step right and when we talk about infrastructure right so like your facility is actually on propane because it is in a more rural area so you don't actually even have natural gas at your facility yeah correct because we're off the grid um and what I just wanted to chime in also is that um, we send all of our waste to NR Digester, yep. uh, which actually turns uh, into it heat. It turns your sp- spent grains into heat. Yep. So that supports a- the city, actually, and turns um, that, yeah, gives heat to the city. So there's a lot of different ways to crack the nut, right? Yep. Um, and I really appreciate the question. So there's some things we're considering. Um, and I think it really depends on what 
you know, like Tree's facility, uh, Amy's facility, we're all different, right? And and so I think we're all trying to do the best for. Yeah. Yep. In, in my case, you know, it's we work with contract manufacturers, so that that would be something we'd have to negotiate with yeah. them. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. Uh, next question. Foremost, thank you all for uh, doing all of this work. It goes a long way to help push sustainability forward. Um, it seems like most of these reports are aggregated. So it's across the company. You're understanding what the total sustainability is. Are there individual level reports for, say, Boss Hog versus your farm stock rye or one of your varietals? Um, and then if so, uh, are there standards that exist for those different reports or are these kind of on a case-by-case basis? Okay, so that's obviously a question for me. <laughs> Thank you. What's your name? Uh, my name's Chris. Chris. Hey, Chris. Howdy. Good to meet you. Um, yeah, so it's skew to skew dependent, and um, I think it's also case case volume, right? So we just launched um, our first single malt last week. Nice. Congratulations. Can, let's get claps for that. Get a clap. <laughs> Um, thank you. And so, uh, that packaging is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will show, gladly show pictures of it, but it's pretty heavy, but it's a, a small skew. It's a s- small, uh, volume in the, y- you mentioned it on, um, yeah. So we like to keep it, yeah. weigh it, I guess, uh, an, a weighted average, if you will. Um, and so some skews are going to be different than the others, like a boss hog or a beholden, which is what we just launched, um, last week. Uh, but I feel like our core skews, that's what we really try to keep a hold of. So, um, our piggyback rye or 10 year or 12 year or 15 year or piggyback bourbon. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the question. So it, there is a little bit of a weighted average. So definitely we consider it and we do constantly. Um, and especially as we're gathering data right now, mm-hmm. it's something that we consider, yep. um, what each packaging component uh, is going to be driving. Uh, but yeah. So just to add color to that, we do weighted average down to the proof gallon. So from a production basis, and when we make products, we don't even really know what skew it's going to go into at the end of the day. So that's really why we consider it from a production perspective. Uh, but furthermore, I think you really hit on a really important part point, not just for our industry, but many, is that due to the lack of transparency, we don't really have good standards industry-wide. Um, so that's really why we feel like it's important to produce like a carbon-negative bourbon is we're really putting our numbers out there, letting other companies compare to what we're doing, and hopefully that facilitates conversations for better standards going forward. But we honestly don't even have a lot to compare it to. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Next question. So I know throughout this conversation, you really were able to anchor on the importance of relationship between um, suppliers and different partners. What was the impact of COVID-19 on supply chain and partnerships? And were there any lessons learned about different sustainability practices or partnership um, options for you? Amy? Alcohol is essential business, baby. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, uh, 
for us, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of my business is um, off-premise is what it's called. So convenience stores, grocery stores, things like that. So we were operating the whole time. It's not like we ever stopped uh, making the product or anything like that. The things that did change were everything moved to be more packaging, right? So anything like a draft beer was no longer, it's all in cans now. So all of the items that go into packaging got more, a lot more expensive, hard to find, longer lead times. That's all still taking effect in my business. Um, also the cost of freight as a result is also like, there's many reasons why freight was so expensive, especially last year, but, um, that's definitely affected my business. So, you know, it's important. I think that we just keep open conversations with the suppliers all the time because ultimately, you know, for me, I'm dependent on my contract manufacturer to like do a good job and prioritize me and things like that. And so I never want my demands of my business to be making it so that they don't have a good business. Like everything that, you know, if they have an experience in, in increase in prices on something or increased lead time on something, I want to know that immediately. So we're working together and we're partners in it always. Um, I don't have the luxury of like owning my own place. And so I, you know, we definitely need to work with all of our partners. Like we, we, we try not to micromanage, but we kind of do that. Like we, we, we try and check all the orders and everything, make sure the prices are consistent all the time because it affects us just as much as it affects them. So that's what it was like for us. Can I, yeah, so just comment um, DTC. We don't do it. Well, I mean, we do have a very small amount. Yeah, we have to go through we, three tiers. Yeah, so three-tier, three, three tier obviously, but do we think uh, DTC is better from a sustainability perspective or not? I don't know. This is a question. Direct-to-consumer is like when somebody buys it online and it's shipped directly to their house instead yeah. of buying it at a retail So we location. work with Speakeasy. Uh, as a group that we work with. Uh, so just, I guess, asking the question and, to the group. Yeah, I think from a consumer perspective, uh, people think about what they want to drink, like right when they're drinking it Correct. or like an hour before. Maybe not for a very Drizzly. premium product like Whistlepig, <laughs> but for Beatbox, you know, most of our distribution is in convenience stores. Literally, people take 20 seconds, walk in, figure out what they're going to get and walk out. So for us, uh, it, it, I think it makes less sense than a brand like yours. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thanks for the questions, y'all. And thanks to our panelists and for the time. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah, your everyone. time. Thanks for coming. And thanks, Nicole. You're welcome. <laughs> Great job.